Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. We're continuing our series, Seeds and Harvest. And uh, if you're new, this will be new to you. But we've been working our way through the book of Galatians over actually quite a few, quite a few months. And we just started the, the sort of the third chunk, which is the final one, as we're going to look at chapters 5 and 6 uh, together as we're nearing the end of it. And today we're going to look at Galatians 5, verses 7 to 15. And we're just going to work our way through the text, you know, read a little bit, talk a bit, point things out as we go. That's where we're headed. A quick recap here. Uh, there's a false teaching in Galatia. And it essentially says that Christians must keep all the law of Moses or basically they're not real Christians. And circumcision, weirdly, is used as a kind of shorthand for people who ascribe to that way of thinking. And Paul is writing in order to correct that teaching. In other words, Paul is absolutely insistent that salvation connected to rule-keeping is a form of slavery. All right, say it again. It's a really loaded sentence. He says salvation, it's ultimately about rule-keeping. If you think that's what's behind it, that's slavery, and I know that's super intense language and, and, and freighted language and it's sort of a dramatic way to put it. It's also completely accurate and not an overstatement. Let me just, if you're, if you're trying to be obedient so that God will accept you, so that God will love you, so that God will say you're okay, that's slavery. And specifically, it's slavery to fear. That's a terrifying way to live. How will you ever know if you've been good enough? And how tormented and haunted will you be by every shortcoming, every failure, every sin along the way? And how can you ever know for sure? You can't. In other words, it's just slavery to fear. And so Paul's argument is that if we actually know that we are saved by grace, that it's the gift of God's kindness, then what will happen is we will live according to God's values. We'll live out his principles because we're grateful and not because we're afraid. The motivator that's behind what we, what we do for the Lord is in so absolutely central and important. And in these last two chapters, Paul is basically explaining what that looks like in principle. If you accept that it's by grace through faith, and then you want to live well for Jesus as a response of gratitude and not fear, then it looks like this. It bears this type of a harvest in your life. So that's our background. Verses 7 to 9 is what we'll look at here for just a second. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who, who calls you. He's like, man, you guys got off track. You were off to such a good start. You were running a great race. And then someone cut in on you and pushed you off the track. And then he says, verse 9, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. There's a good chance you've heard that expression before or versions of it. Maybe you didn't even know it was in the Bible. It's in the Bible. A little yeast works its way through the whole batch of of dough. And because it seems just sort of this sort of, I don't know, a, a colloquialism, something we might just say we might run past it, it's actually really important. 
me tell you something. I think this is absolutely fascinating. Uh, a group of sort of social scientists have, have done this experiment. They do it on universities. It's been repeated many times, and so verified. It keeps happening this way. Uh, it's pretty interesting. They get a group of people who agree to come in and take a test. The tests are essentially the same, and the answers to the test don't actually matter. But here's the difference. There are two versions of the test that these students are asked to take. One version uses lots and lots of words that are typically associated with old age. And the other version of the test uses lots of words that are typically associated with like youth and vitality and all of that. Okay? So they take the test, they turn it in, and they think they're done, but actually the test has now just begun because the researchers then carefully time how quickly it takes those people to walk from the classroom to the elevator. You know what they found? It's been duplicated again and again that the people who were taking tests that were associated with old age, where they just heard the words, they just read the words associated with old age, they walked more slowly to the elevator. They, do you see how like easily suggestive, like how easily we can be nudged in ways that we might not ever perceive? And then consistently the ones who walked, who, who did tests that talked a lot about um, youth and vitality, they walked more quickly to the elevator. So these things impact us in ways that we, we might not ever see or perceive. And of course, they had no idea that that's what's happening. So here's my point about that, other than how cool and interesting is that? Maybe I'm just a nerd, but I think that's super interesting. The point is, a little bit of yeast works its way through the whole batch. What I'm saying is, guys, there's no such thing as just an idea Oh, it's just a harmless idea. It's just a thought. It's just a belief. There's no such thing as just an idea. What we think, how we understand the world, it affects how we live our lives, period. Perception is not reality, but it absolutely shapes our understanding of reality. I'll put it this way. We live, we live inside the stories that we tell ourselves, and then we interpret the whole world through the lenses of those stories. So you might say, okay, Aaron, so what if people have to keep the law to be accepted? So what if people think that? Why is it such a big deal if people have that idea? It's not like the law is a bad thing. We could do some more law keeping. That'd be good for us. So who cares? Well, here's the thing. Paul cares a lot because, and stay with me, if we give ground to any idea that our acceptance by God is conditional, then we will be tormented by that perception. Full stop. Tormented. It'll work its way into every aspect of our lives. We will be afraid of him instead of emboldened by him. We will live in fear instead of in joy. And hear this. We will, and I've seen this again and again, it's inevitable. We will end up resenting God's rules instead of just being stunned that the king of glory, who knows everything, was kind enough to tell us the best way to live. That's a gift. That's a kindness. And yet we see it as something to be resented. There's no such thing as just an idea. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. It matters a lot if you have a watered-down understanding of God's grace, of his love, of his kindness to you, of his delight in you. Let me tell you a story. I've told the story a bunch of times, so I'll give you the quick version. 
but I was in my third year of Bible college before I really understood the gospel. I mean, I knew the gospel. I like the mechanics of it all. I got it. In fact, I'd given my whole life to the truth of it. I, I'm in, okay? But the beauty of it didn't hit me until my third year of Bible college. I'm sitting in the back row of Dr. Battle's Greek class trying to figure out what he was saying. It was such a hard class. And he's working through Hebrews chapter 13. And he's talking about the verse of your church, kid. This will sound familiar to you. Verse 5 where it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That one. And as he is explaining the grammar behind this text, he says, emphasis in Greek works differently than in the English language. So he explains how emphasis works. And he says, with that in mind, that makes this the most emphatic verse in the entire Bible. If there's any place in all of Scripture where God grabs us by the shoulders and says, you have to know this, you have to believe this, it's the most emphatic sentence anywhere in Scripture, it's this one. And he said, if we translated it directly, it would be, I will never leave you nor forsake you, no, no, never, not, ever. And he continued on with the class, and I was so glad to be in the back row because I was wrecked. And the, the beauty of the gospel clicked with me in a way. I, I mean, it's all the times I'd heard it, but it never clicked. It never landed. I never saw just how deep and profound the love of God was until in that moment. And the thing is, I knew the gospel, and I was all in for the gospel. But it wasn't until that moment that I realized that God was all in for me. I, I, didn't, I didn't know until then, and I just, I just wept through the class. I want to be clear. That did not make me want to go take advantage of the grace that I now understood more fully. It made me want to go live well for the Lord because, guys, because I wasn't afraid anymore. Okay? There's no such thing as just an idea. And a little bit of yeast works its way all the way through the dough. i got to keep going. Verse 10. 10 through 12. Woo! This is a fun one. Okay, here we go. Verse 10. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other views. Like, you're going to agree with me, right? The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever they may be, will have to pay the penalty. Not sure what that means, but um, he's frustrated with the false teachers. Verse 11. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Basically, he's saying, you know, guys, I haven't watered down the intensity of the gospel if I had watered it down, then I wouldn't still be getting persecuted, and I am. And so he's saying, this is not something we can move around. This is not something we can let be watered down. The grace and the love of God has to come in full force. We cannot, we, we can't water it down. And then he says this, verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. All right. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just got really hot in here. Um, Sometimes being a preacher puts you in a weird spot, uh, like right now when you have to talk about this verse. Uh, This one's tricky. Is this what it sounds like? I think it is. I think it probably is. So Paul says he wishes the agitators would emasculate themselves. Uh, There's one of two things going on here. Uh, The Greek word for emasculate is the Greek word for castration. I mean, it's not not the Greek word for castration. So there... All right, so um, if it's figurative, then he's saying that he wishes they would just cut themselves out of the church entirely. Gosh, I hope that's what it means. I don't think so, though. Or if it's more literal, he's saying 
These guys, instead of being so obsessed with cutting off part of yours, should just go ahead and cut off all of their own. I don't know what to say about that. Just, <laughs> there's that. I don't, are you guys cool with me changing the subject now? I am sweating. I just, whoo. <laughs> no, actually, I do want to make a point. He is really upset, right? This is not a subtle response. This is about, again, what? It's at the core of the gospel. This is no small thing. He's saying this yeast works its way through the whole batch. We can't water down the beauty of God's grace, and he's not going to be chill about it. It's a big deal. All right, now I made a point so we can move on. Verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law, the whole law, can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always abiding and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Yeah. So we have this beautiful picture and then this really not beautiful alternative to it. Um, this takes us back to where we ended last week, doesn't it? If you were here and you're paying attention, you're like, hey, isn't that where, yeah. Uh, genuine faith in Jesus is freeing. It is liberating. As we said, I hope you get it, it delivers us from fear. And the genuine expression of that is, again, gratitude and not fear. The genuine expression then doesn't look like, oh, I can do what I want. It looks like love. It looks like us placing the other ahead of ourselves. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like, hey, man, your, your deal ahead of my deal. It looks like love. That's the ultimate litmus test. Guys, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. If a God of love who is love rescues us with his love, empowers us by his love, commissions us to share his love, and the net result isn't you and I being really loving, then we've missed, like, then something doesn't add up, does it? Like you'd have to just pull back and go, okay, if you're a Christian, if that doesn't look profoundly like love, then something, that doesn't, that doesn't add up. So I, a couple dumb examples. Let's say that someone, God forbid, goes on a horrible killing spree, just murdering everybody, and then they get pulled to the side, and they're, and they're questioned, and they say, why, do you did th- why did you do this? And they say, I did this because I am an adamant follower of Bob Ross. Like, Hold on, Bob Ross, the happy trees guy? Yeah, the happy trees guy. That guy. I'm, I follow him, I go the way of Ross in all things and so now I murder everybody. It's like, no, wait, hold on a second. He's like the nicest guy. That doesn't add up. We believe things that are ridiculous, by the way. Just as an aside, did you know there's like a conspiracy theory out there that Bob Ross is a serial killer and um, his paintings are like revealing where all the bodies are hidden? Like, come on. Snopes.com, we can, we can go ahead and burst that bubble. People will believe anything. Because what people should do is go, oh, no, that doesn't add up. Not that guy. Not that guy. Or let's say on the other side, let's say someone just becomes incredibly, like, they become like an extreme pacifist, and they're just super cautious about it. Like, they won't walk on carpet for fear that they will kill a gnat. And then you go, man, what's this all about? And it's like, well, I've changed. I am now a follower of John Wick. I go the way of Wick in all things. Wait, from the movies? 
Like the dude who murders everybody all the time? He's like, yeah, he's taught me the way to be a pure pacifist at every turn. We would look at that and go, no, that doesn't, that doesn't add up at all. That doesn't add up at all. So, so look, these are really dumb illustrations, I know. But here's the thing. There are people, you know some of them, who are brooding throughout the day. Just a simmering rage, just a layer or two deep, frustrated and short-tempered, quick to anger, and biting commentary and contemptuous at every turn. And they wouldn't say it quite like this, but if you really drill down to what that's about and you ask them to source where all that angst is coming from, in the end, if you push them hard enough, they'll blame it on Jesus. They'll say, because I go the way of Jesus. And things shouldn't be like this. And people shouldn't be like this. And the world shouldn't be like this. And they'll hide behind, of all people, Jesus. For their rage and their contempt and their frustration. It's, it's more ridiculous than hiding behind Bob Ross because you're a murderer or whatever the other ridiculous example is. Guys, this is the mark. Love is the mark. As we're going to see next week, when we live this out, it looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, anything else. Just, it just doesn't add up. It's our shibboleth. Do you guys know what a shibboleth is? Y'all thought I was speaking in tongues for a second there, didn't you? Shibboleth. You guys know what that means? Let me read you a couple verses. This is from uh, Judges chapter 12. I didn't give them the verses, so that's my bad. Here we go. Uh, Jephthah captured the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And whenever a fugitive from Ephraim tried to go back across, okay, so they have fugitives and they're, they're kept there in Ephraim. Whenever they tried to go back across the river, the men of Gilead would challenge him and they would say, are you a member of the tribe of Ephraim? They would ask. If the man said, no, I am not, they would say to him, say Shibboleth. If he was from Ephraim, he would say Sibboleth. Because people from Ephraim cannot pronounce the word correctly. And then they would take them and kill them. Okay, so we have to focus on that part. <clears throat> so they set up this barricade. We're going to go, are you one of us? Yes or no? Oh, yeah, I'm in. Totally. All right, cool. Say Shibboleth. <laughs> and if they said Sibboleth, then they knew. That, there was just this key cultural marker. Okay, it's just because they spoke... Uh, you know, different dialects, and as a result, the words didn't form in the same way, just like in lots of languages with lots of words and phrases now, okay? Same idea. It's like, nope, nope, there's a clear marker. You're not one of us. Yeah. Folks like us say and do things like that. And guys, loving our neighbor, it's our shibboleth. It's, it's our marker. Like, like we said last week, we can be right about so much stuff and then still be terribly wrong in our application of those truths and of those beliefs. And, and going back to the beginning of our text, if we forget that this is about grace and think that it's about moderating sin or managing sin, there will not be a harvest of love there will be a harvest of fear. 
If you live your life day by day, stunned by the kindness of the Lord, fueled by gratitude that he would rescue you and declare you to be righteous in spite of your failures, it will look like love. It will bear the fruit of love in your life. And if it's actually about fear, I've got to be good enough to be accepted. If not, I'm out. Then you will be overcome by fear and it will mark your coming and going in ways you'll never even be able to comprehend. It's our shibboleth. It just is. Okay. So let's wrap up the same way we did last week. Um, Let me invite you to stand for prayer if you're able to do so. Remember last week we just did some inventory. Remember? We said, what are the areas in which you could say, I'm a loving person except for this subject or or this category of thought or this situation. Now, those those are different. Those those are much harder, okay? Um, And we said, hey, let's, can we just, review that, you know? Let's bring those things to the Lord. And then here we are kind of finishing today's sermon really on the same thing. This, this all boils down to whether or not we're loving one another well. That's the fruit that we're looking for, the fruit that's in keeping with repentance, to use John the Baptist's phrase. So since, since we're repeating, let's just ask. Ask yourself. Those things that we talked about last week, how'd it go? How did last week go? We said, what's that situation where you just, oh, okay, how'd it go? And do we need to bring it to the Lord again? I say, Lord, would you, would you purify me? Would you purge me? And when we think of being purified and purged, it, that is about sin for sure, for sure. And it is a big deal. It bogs us down in so many ways. It's, our sin is such an offense to the Lord. I want to be, I'm not trying to minimize that, not even in the least, but as you're sort of doing some forensic work here and trying to look back and say, why is this thing so difficult? Why is this situation so triggering to me or makes me so angry or so frustrated or lose the fruit of the Spirit when this subject comes up? If you haven't quite been able to put your finger on it, could you stop and maybe ask yourself, well, what's, is this more about love or is it more about fear? Because if we're fueled by gratitude because we're stunned by the grace of God, the fruit will be love if we're just trying to be good enough to be accepted, it will work its way out in your life based on fear. And so I, I, just, I just want to encourage you, as I do probably about every week, to with all the, all the faith that you can muster, all the hope that you can conjure up, would you embrace the grace and the beauty of what Christ has done? The wonder of the cross. That's why we go there through communion again and again and again to remember It's about what he has done for us. It's what he has done for us. Out of that free gift, we're transformed. Okay, let's take a minute to pray about that, and we'll sing a song together. King Jesus, uh, we love you so much. And we perhaps confess that uh, we might lose the plot along the way. We might... We might get kind of, it's so easy, it's so easy to lose sight of grace through faith. Grace through faith. We put our trust in you, we pledge our allegiance to you, and you wash us whiter than snow. It's hard to hold on to, it's a slippery idea because we, we keep messing up and falling short. And, and yet you're always there, you're always there, you're always there to pick us up, to restore, to spur us along, to keep going. And Lord, in our going, as we move forward, as we pick ourselves up once again and dust ourselves off once again, would you reveal to us now, Lord, is, 
Are we doing that because we're afraid of judgment, of condemnation? Or are we moving forward because we're so astounded that you picked us up in love yet again? Speak to us, Lord. Help us to receive from you.